0: Good morning. Is this on? Okay. The sermon text for today comes to us from the Gospel according to St. John in chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness to me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. As you're doing that, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we sing it because it is true. You have the words of life and so into and you we go because we know that there is no other place that we might find anything. Anything of substance, anything worth adoring, God, can only be found in you. And now, for this time, until we see you face to face, we see it through your word, and God, so we humble ourselves and cast ourselves at your feet and know that you have brought life to bones, and you have brought hearts of stone to be hearts of flesh, and God, you've brought rebellious hearts To turn and to follow you. So God, we ask that you would work that in us this very, this very moment. Amen. About six years ago, almost to the day, our family was hiking in the Red River Gorge, which is southern Kentucky, kind of getting up to the Appalachian Mountains. And while we we're there, Rachel, Rachel stayed back in the car and I went out with Judah and Blythe and for going for a little hike. Mom's not there, so you're able to do things that you <laughs> normally wouldn't do if mom is there. But I know my propensity to do really stupid things, right? Um, like you're in Hong Kong, and so you you find your way to the top of a skyscraper, and you walk along the edge of this top of the skyscraper. Why? Because there's death on one side, and the sheer exhilaration is worth it. And so I have all of this going in my mind: of like, don't do anything stupid. Like the edge up right, over the edge of the cliff is right there. Don't do anything stupid. Oh, it sure would be fun just to give him up pretty close and just let him lean over and get a good look. Don't do anything stupid. Don't, like this internal dialogue going on back and forth, back and forth with Judah and Blythe. And then so I go, wisdom wins out. So then we go, okay, I'm, I'm just going to let him look. We won't go up to the edge and peer over, which is the best way to do it. So we'll, we'll kind of stay back and oh, there's a path over there. So we'll take that. That's like 12 feet wide. We'll go over there. We'll take that. So we, Take that path, and this 12-foot path becomes an 8-foot path. And we're getting still far enough away. But then there's this bush right here that's kind of blocking the path. So we got to get through the bush. And Judah goes first, and he's going along, and he's going out there. And then I have Blythe on my shoulders at this time. And I go through... And then it happens. This 12-foot path that was an 8-foot path is now a 2 and foot path. And your son, who you've kept a hand on, you had to let go so he could get through the bush. And then now he's out walking ahead of you. And your heart starts pounding. And you go, just stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Because there's mountains on this side, hundreds of feet down here. And so you could just call out, Judah, just wait right there. Just wait right there. And he hears his father's voice, and he begins to turn and say, Yes, Papa. His right foot comes down and misses the edge. By God's grace, I don't know. In my mind's eye, you could see the, his leg coming down. On the path is okay. Not on the path is, is horrible. And it's going down towards me. Not on the path. And so even before his foot goes down. One, two, three steps to him. Grab life, Throw her towards the mountainside. And dive. And grasp at anything you have. Anything you can. And I got him. Got him in his, his left arm as he begins sliding down. And there he is with absolute certain death below him. But I had him. And this great peace comes over you, even though you're lying with a crying daughter here, a screaming son here, because you know he's your son. And you will never let go. Brothers and sisters. God your heavenly father. Has that same hold on you. Though you may look around. And though death may loom before you. A certain death may be around you. Though temptation may surround you all the time. You will not fail. And you will not fall into your death. So as we look at this text in John chapter 10, that's what we're going to be pressing towards. As I want you to see is that there is not anything, there is not anything that can pull you out of your father's hands. Just like when I had Judah there hanging over the cliff, his arm had bruises on it from my finger marks. There is nothing that could have ripped him out of my hands. And though there was certain death below him, he was absolutely safe in my hand. So how are we going to see this? What are we going to see? Well, in verse 20 through 22 through 26, what we're going to be looking at is just the the nature of unbelief. What's happening here? What what's going on? Why are they not believing? It's so evident, right? It's so clear before them, so you would think, why do they not believe? So we're going to look at that. 23 to 26, kind of this nature of unbelief. And then finally, uh, we're next after that, we're going to be looking at verse 27. Hearing and following. Hearing and following the voice of God. And then finally, verses 28 through 30, through the end there, we're going to see how we are finally, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, how you are safe in the hands of God. So let's go back to the text here, verse 22. We'll go back to that. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Verse 24. So the Jews gathered together around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell this plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me here's the difficult pill to swallow but you do not believe why why do you not believe well because you are not among my sheep so here's Christ back in his father's in his father's temple here and it's the feast of dedication and the Feast of Dedication is when a, t- a time when they come gather together and celebrate God's goodness and God's deliverance. And when you're reading narrative, we talked about this in Sunday school last week. And when you're reading narrative, you have to ask yourselves, why? Why even include this? This, this pissy little, a couple little words, why add that in? So when you're reading narrative scripture, all of these details are incredibly important. The vast majority of the details of Christ's life are left out. And so when you come across these details, at the time of the Feast of Dedication, when you come across these details, you have to ask yourselves, why would John, why would the Holy Spirit, through John, add these into the text? And so they're, they're, he's taking these specific stories and he's putting them in a specific way and he's using these little words to frame these stories that are in a specific way in such a way that we see them and see them correctly. So what's happening here in this Feast of Dedication? Is that... Uh, okay, so go back to a little bit of history. You have the Assyrian Empire. Remember the Babylonian Empire. And then the, the medo Persian Empire. And then the Greeks. And then... Uh, King Alexander the Great goes the way of men, and he dies in northern India. There's no one to take over his empire, so they divide it up amongst the four generals. And the Seleucid Empire is the one that starts in the Far East, but then he begins conquering, and they make their way over. And so kind of in this intertestamental period... Between the end of the Old Testament, beginning of the New Testament, much of that time is spent under the rule of this Seleucid Empire. And there's this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he is the king over that. In order to subject the people of God, what does he do? He takes a pig, the most foul of all creatures in the Jewish mindset. The most foul of all creatures and he takes that pig and he himself goes into the holy of holies and slaughters the pig and sacrifices it to pagan gods. A complete affront to the Jewish people and to God, to God himself. So again, this, this forces this, a revolt among the people. Judas Maccabeus rises up and they defeat them. They defeat the, this, this remnant of the Greek empire, the Seleucid. And they have their freedom. And so they go in and they cleanse this temple out. And they begin lighting a light. We still celebrate. Well, many people still celebrate this today. It's Hanukkah. The same feast that's happening here so just by including these couple little words, I hope you're able to see as you're studying the Word of God, read what's going on. Why would John include this? Just by including these several little words, John's able to frame this whole discussion about God the Father through Christ holding on to His sheep and preserving them throughout all of history and all through eternity into the future. He's able to frame this in such a way to say, remember, God has already delivered us. When our peril... Was certain God has delivered us. He has been faithful to us in the past. So then Christ is coming into this, this colonnade here of the temple and you come down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and it's going to be along the east side here. You kind of go in the temple, not right in, not so much into the court of the women, not that far and you look to the right. There's these white marble pillars displaying the, the greatness. Thereof, about 35-40 feet high. And so they have this open area here. These pillars are covered with cedar planks. And it's winter time. And even then, Christ is able to gather a people unto Himself. And they are listening to Him. The Jewish leaders, they can't help themselves. They must ask, How long, verse 24, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just say it. Tell us. Not to their credit. There's been just a couple instances, but not a whole lot of times. And what they're not saying, they're not coming in this, this moment of weakness like you might, and weakness and humility, coming to Christ and saying... Christ, are you real? Please show yourself to me. I'm, I'm desperate and I have nothing else. No, what they're doing is coming to him and they're trying to entrap him. They're saying, we know you want, we want to kill you. Just give us a reason to do it. Throw the first punch. Just do it. Say you're the Christ. And then we can have at it. So there's been a couple times, remember in John 4, when the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, will he tell us all these things when he's with this Samaritan woman at the well? And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I'm he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And then also in John uh, chapter 8, So the Jews answered him, but Jesus is saying, No, I know, I know Abraham. And they respond to him, You're not even 50 years old. Are you what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was saying because then they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out through the temple. So there's no, there's no more need for these spoken words to happen. And Christ tells them, I've already told you, but you don't believe. You just don't believe. Your evidence is is right there before you, but you still don't believe it. Now, you've heard the claims, but you don't believe it. And this, brothers and sisters, as you go through the book of John, is a driving theme throughout all of John. Do so you see there's the the um, the first sign of the miracle of Cana. Where he fills up Waters of jug, he makes turns him into wine, and what are the, what's the response then of the people? And all of his disciples believed in him. And then he also he heals the royal official's son, right? And Jesus said, "Your son lives. Your son lives." And he and his whole whole household believed. And because what's happening here, what does John set up? He says that Christ is the true light who gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. This is John chapter 1. And he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet, even though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. But... All who did receive him, who believed in his name, that is, to receive him is to believe. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of men. But how were they born? They are born of God. And so as you see these signs throughout John, you're going to see this evidence. And then you're going to see, do they believe or do they not believe? Water and the wine. Disciples, they believe. Healing of the royal official's son, who is certainly dead. But then he says, no, your son lives and the whole family believes. And there's this paralytic at the side of... And what does he tell him? He says, get up your mag. Get up. Pick up your mat And walk. In the midst of all of that, how do the Jewish people respond? Out of belief? No. For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing things on the Sabbath. He goes on from there. And he feeds the 5,000. Then the people respond. The masses of the people respond. Truly this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And so you see this breakdown. This division. You are confronted with the gospel. And you respond in belief or disbelief. And it's not who you think. The the crowds who depend, who have no food to bring with them, who depend on Christ to feed them, they respond in faith. The religious guys, the professors, pastors, those guys, they respond in disbelief. It's never who you think. So then he walks on water. And then he heals the man who was blind from birth. He tells him, "Go, go, go wash. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And again, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, they respond, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They don't care that this man was blind from birth and now sees. No, I don't. No, put that aside. You were working on the Sabbath. But how does the man respond? Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Then you get to chapter 11 with this raising of Lazarus. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and Christ is teaching them. He's telling them, Mary, Martha, do not be anxious. Brother is dead. But I am, I am the resurrection and the life. And he, whoever believes in me, will live even though he dies and he goes out to the tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, amazingly, comes out. Again, confrontation of the gospel, who Christ is, what he does. A dichotomy of answers. Well, the people, well, there were many Jews who came to Mary. Mary. And saw what he had done. And they responded in belief. But the Jewish leaders from that day on. You're going to raise him from the dead? I don't believe it. From that day on they plotted together to kill him. So these are the seven signs that you see Christ doing. But there's one more. There's the empty tomb. And the resurrection of Christ himself. And you see it, even through the text, you see it, and you see the response of, Th- of Thomas. What does he say? He's even though he's doubting, he he sees Christ in his hands. He's invited here. Put, put your finger through here. Put your hand in my side. He doesn't even have to. He says, "Christ!" Out and says, "My Lord and my God." And what John is driving at, reader? Through the text, we too see this empty tomb. And you are confronted with this same question. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality for someone who claims to be God. And claims to have risen from the dead. You either love Him and you believe in this. Or you disbelieve and you hate Him. There is no neutrality whatsoever. So what will it be? And that's where John... Leaves us. So they have this nature here of unbelief. And these, like these Jews, going back to the, our verses here in chapter 10, he says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. They're they're implored towards believing, but yet they're unable to do it. They refuse to do it. They see it, but they can't comprehend it. And this was me for most of my life. You hear the gospel, and you just don't believe. You're spiritually blind, and you're perfectly content. You just don't care. And given the choice between your own desires and following Christ, your own desires and following Christ, where your own desires, they win out every time. So until the moment I did believe, until the moment we do come to faith, why do we not believe? But we're incapable of it, brothers and sisters. Yes, you, you have ears, but they cannot hear. And you have eyes, but they cannot see. We, we are spiritually dead and unable to revive ourselves. So every chance I had, I wandered. My freedom took me away from Christ. And so I needed Him, brothers and sisters. You need Him to do the work in you that, which only He is able to do. Because I was unwilling and unable to do it in myself. So our unbelieving hearts will not freely go to God. We need Him to draw us to Himself. Which brings us to verse 27. Hearing and following. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. With these men that are questioning Christ in the temple, there is no amount of evidence that they could see that would open up their eyes. They don't need more evidence. They don't need more miracles. They don't need more teaching. What they need is a changed nature and a changed heart. See, the sheep of God will hear and they will follow. The sheep of God are not just seeing what he does and then going on their merry way. No, they're not. The sheep of God are not coming to him with questions as though they are superior and Christ must answer their questions. No, the sheep of God are hearing his voice and then following and going. And now at that time, now Pastor, uh, a farmer will just have his own fields. He, his cattle will graze in his fields. But at that time, they had the common grazing area. And so all of the, the sheep would be mixed together. So the shepherd would call his sheep. They wouldn't just come closer to him in proximity. When the, when the sheep are called and they go, they leave everything behind. The food they're grazing on, the other sheep they've been hanging out with, and they all leave it behind and go to the one who is calling their voice. Calling with their voice. For some of you, God is calling you to leave everything. He's calling you from out, from ev- from among everything that you have ever known, everything that you have ever loved, everything you've ever cared for. Just come to Him when you hear His voice calling. Do not harden your heart. Psalm 95 says, for today is the day of salvation. So his sheep, they hear his voice. And he knows them. There's this great peace in being known by God up until this moment. Prior to being saved, there's a, a horrible, daunting fear that you're going to be found out. That God knows you, and that is horrible and terrifying. Things that your spouse, your children will certainly never know of. God knows them. But what great comfort it is to souls who now believe in Christ, who hear His voice, and to follow Him, and to know, yes, all of my wretchedness. Everything, the deepest, darkest secrets. That abortion that nobody knows about. God knows about it. And He still loves me. Through it all. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. So brothers and sisters, be found among those who are continually hearing and listening and leaving It all to follow after Christ. Let me twist it though a little bit. We should be among those who are hearing and listening and following after Christ. But don't be amongst those. How horrible. Don't be amongst those who are the ones left behind. Don't be the spouse. Don't be the child that is left behind. When, you're, when your spouse or your parents or your children find something that is of far greater value than you and leave you to go follow after Christ in pure obedience unto glory, don't be the one left behind, brothers and sisters. Be enraptured with this voice calling you. How oh, gracious of God to call you when you could have just smitten us. And cast us into hell, which is what we deserve. But so patiently, calling, calling, calling. Patiently, patiently. Some might write quick. Some are a little slow to come. But there he is, continually calling. So then what is the fate of those who follow the voice of the shepherd? And come... Into him. Let's go to verses 27 through the end here. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given, given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Uh, the, the Christian life is often thought of as burdensome burdensome to those who are on the outside looking in. they look at the Christian life and go, "Oh, you uphold meekness and and humility uh, well, that, that sounds horrible i don't i don 't want anything to do with it you can 't even follow any whimsical desires that you have, but for those that those on the outside looking in but those on the inside. Well, there's no other place we'd rather be. Yes, we can't, we can't just follow any sinful desires that we have, but we have these great assurances, which is what our soul was created for. Assurances that every soul will be held on to. So let's just briefly look at the structure here of these verses and what's going on. He says, My sheep, hear my voice. And I know them. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You see here this kind of sing-song structure that's going on here. Look at these first two here. My sheep... They hear my voice, and they, they follow me here. These, these, it's as though these promises are on the the attitude of the sheep. They're not, they're not conditional per se on what the sheep is going to do, but they're sequential. But look at this third one here. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You see what's missing here? There's no reference to what the sheep must be doing. The foundation of this great assurance is that God will take us by His hand, and He will never let us go. And so He will never let us go, not based on our own goodness, not based on our own religiosity, not based on your daily quiet time, which you should have, but it's not based upon that. It's not based upon our faithfulness, but rather His faithfulness to us through Christ. Brothers and sisters, God will never, never let go of you. He knows everything that you've ever done. He knows everything that you will do. But in the midst of all of this, He loves you. And though you'd be like Judah, and there'd be certain death below you and chaos around you, ah, you are safe. And you are safe in the hands of God. And This simple truth is one that changes everything. How much of our lives is spent saying, oh, if I can just make it through, just make it through this next rotation or through this, this next semester or this next month until the payday. And you think you're dangling there. But in all of these circumstances, there's not been one in all of, in all of history that has been let go. Not one sheep has been snatched out of their hand. Now, it doesn't promise you that Satan won't try. And it doesn't promise you that it'll be easy. But it does promise you that you will have the only thing that matters. That 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 10,000 years from now, you will be with glory in Christ. And even then, He will never let you go. And this is where the peace enters. So the trouble is, we think we are the ones holding on to God. Grab up, grab up your child your one-year-old, you are two-year-old, and you hold them in your hands. And you begin to let go, and they, they panic and try to grasp at you all that they can. Why? Because they think it's them holding on to you. That's in the same way, we often times believe it is us holding on to God. But no, the assurance of that child is that the parent is holding on to them. In the same way, brothers and sisters, Christ... Through God, through Christ, is holding on to you. So it's the Father holding on through Christ. And He will never let go. It will be easier for God to separate the Father from the Son. For they are one. It will be easier to undo all of the Trinity. Than for Christ to let go of one of His sheep. So brothers and sisters, with your trembling hearts. And sometimes our, our faith that doubts. All that is going on around us. It will never change the fact. That your soul is safe. In the hands of God. In the hands of God the Father who decrees all things. Paul writes it this way. For I am sure that neither death nor life. Nor angels nor rulers. Nor the present things. Nor things to come. Nor powers. Nor height nor depth. Nor anything else in all of creation. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So what do we do? One. Hear the voice of Christ and believe. I'm optimistic, but I'm not naive. I know there's unbelievers here. Hear the voice of God and believe. This whole gospel again is building up to bring you to a crisis moment in which you see the empty tomb through the text. and you must believe or disbelieve. Either you believe and you love it or you reject it and you will hate it. So number one, hear the voice of Christ and believe. And number two, rest. Just rest. Knowing that everything that matters is given to you and held on to you through Christ. So the world around us, it can take our wealth or our health or anything or status or even our relationships as they fall apart. But nothing, brothers and sisters, nothing will take you out of the loving hands of God our Father. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, what a delight it is to know that everything that we have can be taken, but the things that matter shall last and endure forever. And our hopes and our desires and our dreams are not built upon what we might obtain or what we might hold on to. But God, that you are going to hold on to us because of your faithfulness and who you are. God, so we just give us the faith to rest in this. And calm our anxious hearts, Heavenly Father. Now let's believe in you and trust in you, and know that you
0: you have carried
1: us thus far, God, and you will carry us home into glory. Amen. Amen.